Hello and welcome to The Energy Gang, a discussion show about the fast-changing world of energy. Coming to you again from the COP28 Climate Talks in Dubai, I'm Ed Crooks. One of the great things about coming to a COP, and one of the reasons it's been so fantastic for us at the Energy Gang to be here, is the number of people you can get to meet. People from all over the world in the fields of energy, climate and sustainability are gathered together in one place. And it's just really easy to have conversations with people as you move around the talks. And you can just grab people for a few minutes and have really interesting and valuable conversations with them. One person that I've been able to get to talk to here is Kristen Seaman, who is the Chief Sustainability Officer at General Motors. Kristen, thanks very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, I've got to start off by thinking about the EV market and the EV industry in general. It seems like there's a little disconnect, if you like, between the discourse about EVs, which for the past few months seems to have been very negative, and the data, which still show EV sales growing very rapidly. And obviously, you know, there have been some real things that have been happening. You at GM, you've stepped back from one of your targets in terms of EV sales growth and so on. But how would you characterize it? I mean, as I, as I say, do you think there's kind of been too much negativity in the talk about EVs? Or is it just that people are now becoming a bit more realistic? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we'll continue to monitor the market. And there's a lot of things that need to happen for us to transition and achieve our goal and objective of an all EV future. But we've said all along we can't do it on our own. So the infrastructure needs to be available. You know, charging infrastructure still is a an opportunity for improvement and we're certainly part of the solution there. In fact, this week we just announced that um, we have a partnership with Pilot and Flying J in the U.S. So across some of the major truck stops and the major thoroughfares in the U.S. implementing charging stations there. And the first ones actually came online just this week. So it's exciting to see that transition happen. We adopted the North America Charging Standard. We have partnerships with seven other OEMs to put another charging network across the country. And so the more that that continues to happen, the more people can see that they can participate in an all-EV future. The other, I think, thing to think about is the portfolio. And so as we you know, introduce new products that cover many more segments, many people only have one vehicle in their family. And they use that vehicle for uh, sometimes even to support their livelihood. You know, so introducing things like the Silverado EV pickup truck or even the, the Equinox EV or the Blazer EV, those are family-sized vehicles, you know, affordable vehicles that really allows much more of the population to make the transition. So as you were saying, you set this goal, which looks pretty ambitious to have all your light duty vehicles that you sell have zero tailpipe emissions by 2035. That doesn't feel like it's very far away, particularly not on the cycles of the automotive industry where you have to plan a long time in advance, obviously, before you actually get a model on the roads. You're still absolutely committed to that goal and you, you're confident you can hit it. Yeah, I mean, so our goal is to be 100 percent. EV for new light duty US vehicles by 2035. And, you know, we actually set a vision of back in 2017, Mary Barr and the senior leadership team set a vision around zero crashes, zero emissions, zero congestion. And we've been on that journey for quite a while. So what you're starting to see roll out of the portfolio of vehicles now are things that have been in the works for a while. You know, again, this can't be something we do by ourselves. And so infrastructure grid decarbonization, all of those things that are necessary to make the EV future reality need to happen. 
Okay, so let's dig into a few of those then, maybe. So, as you say, charging infrastructure is absolutely vital, and that's a crucial thing, obviously, for a lot of people when they're thinking about, do I buy an EV or not? They want to know if they're going to be able to charge it somewhere. How would you characterize the state of EV charging infrastructure now worldwide? I mean, is it very different in very different countries? Are there some countries that are really making great strides and they're kind of getting to the point where you'd like them to be in terms of infrastructure and others that are lagging behind? And if so, you know, where are the ones you'd point to? Yeah, I mean, it certainly varies region to region and our, you know, market rollout will depend on that. You know, the U.S. has made some fantastic commitments around the, with the IRA and the support of the infrastructure, Europe certainly is well on its way as well. Some of the other regions, South America, et cetera, I think it's going to be a little bit slower. And so as we continue to monitor that, we're, you know, we'll manage that just like we would any other portfolio decisions. And how do you accelerate that rollout of charging infrastructure then? Is that really something that governments have to take the responsibility for? I think the governments need to be part of it, but we also want to be part of the solution. That's why I talked about the Pilot and Fine J partnership, the, our partnership with the other OEMs. We've committed over $750 million to work with um, charging infrastructure overall. Part of that is working with our dealerships to implement charging stations in their communities. There's a statistic that says over 90% of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles of a GM dealership. So if the dealership can figure out where in their community a charging station would be most valuable, right, then it continues to show people. You know, many people are used to seeing um, gas stations on every corner. Even though an EV experience is very different, that's what they're used to. And so they need to understand and see that this is in their community in their daily commute to be able to be ready for the adoption. So education is part of the decision as well. That is very interesting, yeah. I mean, I guess another issue then raised by a lot of people and has particularly been raised quite a lot, I think, in recent months is the question of the cost of EVs. And often it seems to be the case that cost of an EV is still higher than for a gasoline-fueled car of an equivalent size and specifications. What are the prospects for bringing those costs of EVs down? Do you think that you at GM are on course get the price of an EV to be comparable with a conventional car? 100%. We're well on the journey for profitability with EVs. I mean, that's absolutely part of our strategy. You know, we're, we're a company based on innovation. We've got engineers that, you know, their passion, what drives them every day is really, you know, those incremental improvements, whether it be for range efficiency, you know, cost efficiency, um, you know, less material, less critical materials needed for the battery. And all of those play into, in fact, you know, the the overall cost of the vehicle. We implemented this year um, a winning with simplicity strategy that's focused on things like complexity reduction, you know, more efficient manufacturing processes. And so the company is laser focused on ensuring that the EVs are profitable. You mentioned critical minerals, and that's obviously another issue that a lot of people raise as a big potential problem for growth of EVs and turning EVs really into a mass market product that takes over the majority of the vehicle market. We've seen some easing of concerns about that, I guess you could say, this year. I mean, for instance, the price of lithium has absolutely collapsed during the course of this year, and, and perhaps the sense that we're running out of lithium, there isn't enough lithium available, those concerns have faded a bit. But even so, when you look at how much growth is expected in EV production, you will find a lot of people who will raise concerns about whether those crucial battery raw materials 
not only lithium, but also cobalt, nickel, graphite, are those going to be available at the scale that's required? What's your expectation about that? I know GM has been involved actually up the supply chain. You've Absolutely. been involved in lithium production yourself. Yes. Do you think that's essential to do for you to be involved in the production of those critical minerals in order to make sure you can get the growth in production you're looking for? I mean, I think there's a couple things there. One is, you know, first off, we've secured all of the raw materials we need to meet the volume goals that we have in 2025 and already focused on the next chunk going forward. So, you know, supply from that standpoint is not something we're worried about. As far as going deeper into the supply chain, part of it is you know, what we learned through some of the supply challenges that we've had over the past years. Some of it's ensuring a more robust, resilient, and sustainable supply chain as well. You know, there's a lot of talk about the sustainability of, you know, mining and what happens as you're procuring these raw materials. And so by going deeper into the supply chain, we are a little closer to it. We'll never be able to determine everything on our own, which is why our suppliers are such a huge partner and resource to us. In fact, we we have an ESG supplier pledge where we ask our suppliers to sign on to their own commitments around carbon neutrality, as well as a minimum score on Ecovadis, which is a rating system for things like human rights and, and those type of things. And so I'm not concerned about the supply chain. I think we've got robust plans in place. And I, I do think that you know, innovation spurs innovation. We all know about supply and demand, and I think we'll continue to see things, you know, accelerate. And even with those higher ESG standards as well, because obviously the risk presumably is that if you put those standards in place in your supply chain, you restrict supply and then you can't actually get the materials you need. Yeah. I, I mean, again, we've got great partnerships in place. We've got great agreements in place. Our purchasing and supply chain is, is a phenomenal team that has managed, you know, chaos over the past few years. So really confident in what we're able to deliver. So you've been at the COP all week. What have your impressions been? What have you made of this as an event and what kind of conversations have you been having with people? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a, a huge event, as we all know. It continues to grow year over year. And it's really exciting to see the conversations that are taking place. You know, we've all been in the the mode of making these big, bold goals. We've made our own. And what's really important now, I think, is the the progress towards those goals and the conversations that we need to have to to make progress. You know, many times it's cross-industry, but it's really different industries working together. It's public and private. You know, we had great discussions this week around renewable energy and where we're maybe having challenges with sourcing. And we've had great success in the U.S. around our renewable energy goal. In fact, we achieved it. We have all the agreements in place to be 100% renewable by 2025, which is actually 25 years ahead of our original goal. You know, but we've got a ways to go globally to meet our 2035 goal, and, and other companies and industries are dealing with the same challenges. So it's, it's conversations that cop like that of how do we work together to enable success on the challenges we're having. You know, there's, we're all working on different products, but, you know, we really can collaborate on solutions towards this. And so what can a COP meeting really do to help you get to your goals then? As you say, you're aiming for all EVs by 2035, you're aiming for carbon neutrality by 2040. When you look at the government officials that are meeting, trying to come to agreements, when you look at everything else that's going on around the COP in terms of all the businesses and banks and investors and 
civil society organisations, everyone else that's here, what are the things that could be most helpful to you? I mean, collaboration is key, right? And so having those conversations, and I think it's not just the conversations that happen here, but it's the relationships that are built, it's the connections that are built, it's the ideas that are generated. You know, I go back with a long list of things that I want to follow up with, whether it's new partnerships or new ideas that we can implement in our own areas. And so we're getting towards the sharp end of the COP. The last few days of negotiations are coming up. One of the big issues that clearly still is being argued over is this question of what governments say about the future of fossil fuels. And there's dispute over whether the language should be that fossil fuels should be phased out or phased down or something else. Is that a debate you're following? Is that, is that something you think is significant? Do you think it matters what kind of signal on the future of fossil fuels comes out of the COP? You know, I'm inspired by progress. And so whatever the the final words are, I think the the positive and maybe my optimistic view is that we're talking about a change and we're talking about progress. So, you know, is it going to happen tomorrow? No. But as we at least put a goal in place, we're all working towards the same thing. We're very focused on, you know, all EV future. We're you know, making commitments of our own around renewable energy and anything that can happen to decarbonize the grid helps us address our carbon footprint because we're only at zero emissions if we're charging the vehicles with green energy. So I remain optimistic regardless of what the final words are. Kristen Seaman, thanks very much indeed. Great talking to you. Ah, Thanks for having me. Kristen Seaman, thanks very much indeed for joining us. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back again soon with all the latest news and views from the COP28 Climate Talks. Until then, goodbye.